0: I'm Noah, and this is the United States Constitution. If you haven't already, uh, follow @podconstitution on Twitter, and follow the link in the bio to download and or print your own copy of the United States Constitution. So let's jump right in. Section 1 is the Full Faith and Credit Clause. Full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, records, and judicial proceedings of every other state, and the Congress may by general laws prescribe the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings shall be proved and the effect thereof. This clause requires every state, as part of a single nation, to give a certain measure of respect to every other state's laws and institutions. The first part, largely borrowed from the Articles of Confederation, requires that states recognize the laws institutions and court rulings of other states. The second part lets Congress decide how these materials can be proved in court and what effect they will have. This clause is very broad, which is great. States will take note of other states' laws, but aren't expected to treat them the same as they do at home. For example, a fishing license in Texas doesn't give you the right to fish in Colorado. Constitution Center says it best. The clause in federal implementing statute also have a relatively light impact on the state statutory law. As the Supreme Court has recognized when two states' laws are in conflict, it's impossible for both of them to give effect to each other's law at the same time. Alaska Packers Association versus Industrial Accident Commission of 1935. In situations where either state's laws could plausibly apply, say a car accident in Florida between two residents of New York where the two states have different ideas about how to parcel out damages, This clause exerts relatively little force. Under the prevailing uh, standard in Allstate Insurance Company v. Hague in 1981 and Phillip Petroleum Company v. Schutz in 1985, depending on where the case is filed, either court can apply its own state's law to the dispute. So long as the state has a significant contact or significant aggregation of contacts, creating state interest such that choice of its law is neither arbitrary nor fundamentally unfair. Once a court has made a decision, though, the clause has real teeth. So long as the state court has authority over the case and the parties, its judgments will conclusively determine the parties' rights in every other state, even if it might be wrong under law, and if even if the judgment violates public policy in a state where it's enforced. One state's judgment on a gambling debt can still be collected in another state where gambling is a crime, as a court established in Fauntleroy v. Lum in 1908. Section 2 contains three clauses, all pertaining to movement of people throughout the country. The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. A person charged in any state with treason, felony, or other crime, who shall flee from justice and can be found in another state, shall, on demand of the executive authority of the state in which he fled, be delivered up to be removed to the state having jurisdiction of the crime. No person held to service or labor in one state, under the laws thereof, escaping into another, shall, in consequence of any law or regulation therein, be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. The first part is the Privileges and Immunities Clause. This protects each citizen's rights throughout the country. The second part is the Extradition Clause. This states that if someone commits a crime and flees to another state, the executive of the state he or she fled from can demand that he or she be sent back. A good example of this is a woman in Hawaii uh, currently, who ditches her kids and is refusing to tell authorities where they are. She's currently being sent back to Idaho. The third part is the Fugitive slaves Clause. This clause doesn't actually use the word slave, but it certainly implies it. Uh, slaves fleeing were to be returned. Obviously this clause is irrelevant in today's society. Section 3 gives Congress the power to make new states and the power to make laws applying to the US to- territories. New states may be admitted by the Congress into this union, but no new state shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state be formed by the junction of two more states, or parts of states, without the consent of the legislatures of the state's concerned as well as of the Congress. The Congress shall have power to dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory or other property belonging to the United States, and nothing in this Constitution shall be so construed as to prejudice any claims of the United States or of any particular state. Congress can add new states, make a new state within a state, combine two states, and or take part of a state, another state, and combine it. They have to do this with the state legislature's approval, of course. For example, Congress can, if it wanted to, make Puerto Rico a state, it could make a South California, it could combine Texas and Louisiana, or it could even take the panhandle of Texas and the panhandle of Oklahoma and make a completely new state. All of these things have to be approved by the state's legislature. The second part states that the Congress makes laws not only over the country, but also over the United States territories, such as the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, etc. Section four is the Guarantee Clause. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or the executive against domestic violence. This provides that every state must have some form of representative democracy, and it also guarantees protection from invasion. Article 5 is short, and we have plenty of time to talk about it. The Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution, or on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states, shall call a convention for proposing amendments, which in either case shall be valid to all the intents and purposes of as part of this Constitution, when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress, provided that no amendment which may be made prior to the year 1808 shall be in any manner affect the first and fourth clauses in the ninth section of the first article, and that no state without its consent shall be deprived of its equal suffrage in the Senate. This is the amendment clause, the amendment article. There are two ways to amend the Constitution. A senator or representative can introduce an amendment in either house, and two-thirds of both houses have to pass it in order to move to the next step. Or, two-thirds of the states can call a constitutional convention to amend the Constitution. Either way, the final step is to be ratified by three-fourths of the states. I mentioned in the introduction episode that there are still four amendments pending. Let's talk about them. There's an amendment in 1978 that technically expires in 1985, expired in 1985, uh, aimed to give DC representation in Congress. There are a lot of people that are for this amendment still, uh, and want it to be reintroduced and passed. The Titles of Nobility Amendment dates all the way back to 1810, and it says that anyone that accepts any title of nobility forfeits their American citizenship. It doesn't have an expiration date, so it's technically still open to ratification. The Corwin Amendment from 1861 proposed that the federal government would not be allowed to abolish slavery. It was aimed to keep states from seceding. It technically never expired, but is certainly irrelevant with the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery. Lastly is the Child Labor Amendment of 1924, aimed to allow the government to regulate employment under the age of 18. It is irrelevant because many laws enacted afterwards did what the amendment set out to do. It also does not have an expiration date, so it's technically still on the table. I hope you'll join me next time for Article uh, 6 and 7.